All right, guys, we're, we're in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 2 and 3 today. We're going to talk about man, the creation of man and woman, and then we're going to talk about the fall. So we're not going to go through all of this, these passages together, simply for time's sake, and we want to allow for discussion. I would encourage you to read the passages on your own later, okay? So let's talk about the creation of man. We're going to see that in verses 4 through 25. Now, when you get to verse 4, verses 4 through 6 are um, talking about the nature of the world before man, okay? So the writer gives an introductory statement concerning the creation of the world. So what he's doing here is, chapter 1, he basically told you about how the world was created in six days, and then verses 1 to 3, on the seventh day he rested. We get to verse 4, and it's almost like he's just kind of bringing everybody up to speed that God created the world, okay? God created the world. So the writer goes and gives us an introductory statement. Now, here's one interesting thing that you need to be aware of because it's going to have a significance later on, okay? He also tells us in verses 4 to 6 what the world was like, okay? So if you could picture this, because right now we're experiencing something completely different right now outside. There was no rain, and the ground was watered, by mist that went up from the earth. So in the pre-flood world, in this world that God had created, where man was, he created it in such a way that there was no rain. Well, you say, well, you got to have rain. If there's plants, they got to have moisture. How's that possible? Well, mist came up from the ground. Now, I don't understand that. We've never seen anything like that. His whole point was is there was no rain. No rain. Now, if you and I walk outside right now, there's what? Rain, okay? There's rain outside. Welcome to the beginning of June, right? Just hold on to July. July, August, it'll be dry, and you'll wish you had rain for your garden, okay? So in this world, verses 4 through 6 is telling us there was no rain, that there was a mist that came up, from the ground. Now we get to verse 7, and he's going to go in a little bit more detail about the creation of man. Because remember, he mentioned that already on day 6 in chapter 1. God created man from the dust of the earth and breathed life into him. So God, he created from the dust of the earth, and he gave, he breathed life into man. All right? Now, now we're going to talk about a very special place, the Garden of Eden, okay? I, 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 by the way, how many of you are old enough to remember when Leonard Nimoy had a series on Sunday afternoons called In Search Of, okay? Remember that? I used to watch them all the time, okay? Leonard Nimoy. It was a 30-minute program, okay, because it was Spock, you know, and uh, he was telling you about the mysteries of the world. 
And I remember there was one episode, and you're a young guy reading that, you're impressionable, you're not even thinking about what can be and what can't be. And the episode was In Search of Eden, the Garden of Eden. Well, you know, as you get older now, you realize the scripture, there's no way to even find Eden. Did you know what I'm saying? Because if you take into account a flood that destroyed everything, that there's no way. Did you understand what I'm saying? But it makes for a good episode with Leonard Nimoy. You probably could find it on YouTube if you wanted to, okay? So here's what I want you to see, the Garden of Eden. God planted a garden in Eden and placed man in it, in the garden, to tend it. God planted a garden in Eden and placed man in the garden to tend it. So from the very beginning, perfect man, because man hadn't sinned at this point, is given a responsibility to take care of this garden. Okay, he plants a garden in Eden. He God placed all manners of trees for food in the garden. So folks... You know, I love burgers. Some of you love meat, right? Okay. Back then, everybody was a vegetarian, okay? Bruce is like shaking his head, okay? You know, so the reality was is God planted all these type of trees for food. God also put the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. Okay. Now, you'll notice that I give you a note there, a biblical note of explanation concerning the tree of life and also a note concerning the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay, So you can look at that on your own. I will tell you that the tree of life, it will come up a little bit further in our study, but it is mentioned again in the book of Revelation in eternity. Okay? It's mentioned again in the book of Revelation in eternity. Now, the scripture tells us that there were four rivers that emerged from a river that came out of Eden. So Moses is saying to us here that out of Eden there was a river, and out of that river came four other rivers. Okay? And then here is the interesting thing. If you look at verse 17, look at what it says. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, here's the other thing I want you to see. God commanded, man was commanded not to eat from the tree of knowledge or he would be, or he would die. Man was commanded not to eat from the tree of knowledge, or he would die. So from the very beginning, God puts perfect man, if you can even fathom that, in a garden, take care of the garden, you can eat from anything, he just gives him one thing not to do. Don't eat from this tree. Okay? One command. Now, when you get to verse 18, there's something significant here that I think, well, let's talk about it. Because verse 18 now talks about 
the creation of Eve. So let's back up a moment. Who did God give the command not to eat from the tree of knowledge and evil from? Was Eve around? Why do you think that's significant? Okay, Nancy says yes. Anybody else think that's significant? Okay, what are you thinking there, big guy? And I think the man did tell the woman, and we'll and, I'll, and I can show you evidence from the scripture where I think he did tell the woman not to eat from it. But if you know the scripture, why are we all sinners? Because of whose sin? Adam's sin, not Eve's sin. He even knew after when she ate of it. It even says there he knew. Yes, he knew. Yeah. Okay. So the, the point is, is that God told Adam from the very beginning, "Don't eat from that tree." Then he created Eve. Now, he would have told Eve, we can't eat from that tree. Okay? And if you listen to what Eve says later in chapter 3, it's almost like a guy telling a woman what to do. Okay? You're saying you're being harsh. But no, no, listen. I'm telling you. He didn't just give the command. He added to the command. Okay? So the reason why we are sinners is because of one guy. Who? Adam, because he knew better. Do you understand? He knew better. So just want to break that point out. We'll see a little bit more about it here in a moment. But here we see that he's put in this garden. He's told to take care of all the trees, eat of the trees except this one tree, one command. Now, verses 18 through 25 talk about the creation of woman. Okay? The creation of woman. All right? So... God created woman as a companion with a rib from Adam's side, okay? Now, why did he create woman? Look at verse 18. Why did he, why did he create woman? Yeah, it's not good for a man to be alone. All right, so stop for a moment. This is from the very beginning. We see that men are crea- men and women are created to live in isolation, right? To be islands to themselves. No, that's not true. We're created to be what? Relational. Do you know what I'm saying? We're created to interact with people. It is completely abnormal to not interact with anyone. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's completely abnormal not to interact with anyone, to totally isolate yourself. That's abnormal. So from the beginning, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Now you say, we had all the animals. Okay, and I know we got animal lovers in here. That's wonderful. But I'm going to be honest with you. Your animal is not going to fulfill you. Because animals weren't created to fulfill you. The only other, only interaction besides an interaction with God that'll bring fulfillment to you is what? Interacting with humans. Okay? Interacting with humans. So, God instituted marriage when he brought the woman to Adam. So from the very beginning, God instituted marriage by bringing the woman to Adam. All right? 
And then it makes an interesting statement. They were both naked and sinless and were not ashamed. They were both naked and sinless and not ashamed. Now, this is true of all human beings. I know that there are some folks out there that feel like the freer you are, the better, okay? But the reality is, is that most people don't think that way, do they? Most people have in them a sense of wanting to be covered. That's even true in a men's locker room. I'm just going to be honest with you. Most dudes just want to be private. You know what I'm saying? And and the reality is, is that there is a sense that comes from within us that we want to be private. Now, that's not the way it was before the fall. There was no need to, quote, as the scripture says, be ashamed. Did you understand what I'm saying? So we see that here, okay? Now we get to chapter 3. So that's chapter 2. Anybody got a question so far? Anybody got a question so far? We talked about the creation of man and woman, okay? Anybody got a question? So let's talk about the fall now, okay? The fall. That's in chapter 3, okay? In chapter 3. And I am going to read certain verses here. So look with me at verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said to you, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of it and took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. We're going to stop there. And we'll continue on in a little bit. So let's talk about it. First of all, verse 1 introduces somebody completely new to the narrative. Verse 1 introduces somebody that we've not even heard about before. We've heard about the birds of the air. We've heard about the creeping things. We've heard about the fish, the marine life. We've heard about the animals. We've heard about Adam and Eve. But now comes something that we've never heard about the deceiver, the serpent of old. So the writer introduces the adversary to God and humanity, Satan in the form of a serpent. So 
Here's what I want you to understand. From the very beginning, the Bible lets you know that there is a ongoing battle. There is an ongoing struggle of Satan against God. Now, Satan doesn't have a chance against God. In fact, the Bible very much clearly says that Satan is often used for the purpose of God. Okay? But the fact of the matter is, is you and I need to realize that he's very real. Now, why do I say that? Because in our Christian world today, you have one of two extremes. On one hand, you have the extreme of where everybody sees a demon under everything. Like if you lift up a rock, there's a demon. What do you mean? Well, there's a demon of smoking cigarettes. There's a demon of lying. There's a demon of lust. There's a demon of this. How many of you have heard that kind of thing, okay? Maybe you watch a show, and they want to cast out a demon of fatness, okay? Trust me, folks, there is no demon of fatness, okay? All right? That, that, there's just no demon of fatness, all right? There's fatness, but there's no demon of fatness, okay? So, and so that's one extreme where there's a demon under everything, okay? And Satan actually enjoys you being consumed by that. You know, I've been pastoring a long time now and been here 17 years, and through the years I've heard people say things like, the devil's been doing a job on me. Hey, everything, can I be honest with you? He's not omnipresent. He's an angelic being. He's not even all-powerful, although he is powerful. He's powerful than a human. He's not all-knowing as God is, although he's smart, smarter than you and I. But God, Satan can't be everywhere. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? But he, yes, he has multitudes of demons, other fallen angels at his beckoning. But the reality is, is you need to not go to that extreme. Now, here's the other extreme, and Satan loves for us to embrace this other extreme as well, and that is we don't even recognize that he's around. He's a figment of mythology. He's a personification of evil. Have you ever noticed, though, in our world today, we live in a world where we don't believe that there's evil anymore? Really? Even in spite of all the shootings and the terrorism and all of the junk that's going on, there's no evil in this world anymore. There's evil, isn't it? But if we live in a postmodern world where there's no absolute truth, there's no evil. See, he wants us in one of the two extremes. He wants us to believe that he's everywhere. Oh my goodness, I better be careful. Or he wants us to act like there's, you know, it's just, it's just a figment of your imagination. It's not even possible. Here's the thing. You and I need to come to a balance where, yes, he is alive. Yes, he is at work. His minions are here. There is a battle going on, but I'm a child of God. I have nothing to worry about. I remember the first time I went to Haiti. You know, I've never been, before I went there, I had never even thought of ever going to Haiti, and I was sent down there by the mission that I'm on the mission board for. This is right before the earthquake happened down there. And of course, you know, you hear a lot of, everybody hears a lot of things about Haiti, right? Especially you hear about the voodoo, right? The voodoo. And we've all watched TV with the dolls, right? 
the pins and the dolls, okay? And so even though I'm a believer, you get nervous about stuff, right? You get nervous. So I went down there, and I'm talking to this pastor who had invited me down there to teach, and I was talking to him about that, and he said, I said to him, how do you function in this world? I mean, because I'm like nervous. And he just laughed at me, like you're a dumb American. And he said to me, Christians here don't fear that. Even the unbelievers know that their voodoo can't touch us. Because we belong to God. That's interesting, isn't it? We get freaked out by the weird stuff. Like I remember one time I always come here in the morning and get the coffee ready. And I came here, opened up the door, got a few things. And I'm walking down the hall and I hear, mommy, mommy. Like what in the world is going on around here? I'm the only one in the building here. So I start getting a little freaked out. (laughs) Mommy. Mommy. So I'm looking around like, what is going on in this church? And I go, and here I go to the nursery, and somebody left one of the baby dolls on. (laughs) I have to admit, I was freaked out, okay? (laughs) Why am I sharing that with you? Because we get things in our mind concerning him and they're not right. We, we need to have a balanced view, okay? So the author introduces us to the adversary. Now this, though, you need to pay attention because his tactics have not changed with us, okay? His tactics have not changed. So here it is. The serpent questioned the nature of God's command. First thing he does. So he, he says to Eve, you know, hey, Eve, so tell me about these trees. And Eve says, you know, we can eat of any of the trees except the one in the midst of the garden. Because if we eat from it, and notice what she says, or if we touch it, we'll die. Now, stop for a moment. I just kind of thought to myself, where did she get touch it from? Because that's not in the original command. That's not in the original command. Where would she have gotten touch it from? Adam. Adam. Because he's conveying the what? Command. And isn't that like a parent? Don't even look at it. Don't touch that. But if you even look at it, you're going to die. Okay? Or you're going to be punished. Same kind of things going on there. He's like telling her, can't eat from it, but don't even touch it. All right? So here comes Satan, and he questions the nature of God's command. That's how Satan operates in our life. That's why we give in to sin, because we come along and we say, well, surely God wouldn't withhold something from us. Surely God wouldn't. I mean, that can't be the command. We question the command. All right, here's the other one. The serpent created doubt concerning the nature of the punishment. Hey, stop for a moment. Does everybody here recognize that the consequences of sin ultimately is death? Does everybody recognize that? Everybody agree with that statement? All right, so can I ask you, why do we keep sinning? 
Why do we keep sinning? I mean, I'm not talking about the ignorant sins. I'm talking about why do you intentionally sin if you know that what you're going to do is going to bring destruction to your life and ultimately end to death? Why? Why do we keep doing it right here? We entertain a doubt concerning the nature of the punishment. We entertain a doubt concerning the nature of the consequences. See, the tricks aren't old, are they? they they're current. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? The temptations are current. He goes on. The serpent created doubt concerning the goodness of God. That's what he's saying here. Well, you know, he doesn't want you to partake because he knows that if you do this, you're going to understand good and evil and you're going to have wisdom and God's holding back on you. Isn't that what we do sometimes? Is God, you're holding back on me from what I feel that I need to have for my life? So here's what I want you to notice now is the woman ate as she considered the fruit, its appearance, and its possibilities. That's what's going on here, verses 6 through 8. She ate as she considered the fruit, its appearance, and its possibilities. Now, I gave you a scriptural cross-reference, James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, and there it says this, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So the woman gave the fruit to her husband and he ate it as well. All right, so here comes the problem. Okay, here comes the problem. The problem is the woman gives it to Adam, and Adam could have said, ah, no, no, I ain't from that. But what did he do? Yeah, he ate. And you can almost see what the thought process is going through his mind. Well, she's still alive. She's not dropping dead. She's not gasping for breath. She's not, oh, poison, help me, Adam. You know, you know, see what I'm saying? You can almost picture it in your mind, what's going, he's got this, how do I know that? Because I got the same thought processes going through my mind. When somebody entices you to sin along with them, you look at them to see if they're suffering the consequences. Well, they're, they're still alive, they're still breathing, and so you join in on the sin, right? That's what's going on here with Adam. Their eyes were opened, and they tried to cover themselves with leaves. Now, isn't that interesting? So now their eyes are open, and guess what they realize for the first time? We're naked! And so now shame enters into them, and guess what they do try to do? This is what we do with our shame. We try to deal with it ourselves, right? Have, so first of all, they never had any need for clothes before, so when they try to, their first attempt at making clothes, they're using leaves. Really? Leaves. Okay? <clears throat> leaves to cover themselves. Now, it goes on and tells us that when God came into the garden, they hid themselves from his presence. Now that is different. 
When God came in the garden, see, the implication is, is that God came in the garden and met with them. I'm going to tell you right now that who I believe that was coming into the garden to meet with them was Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus. So God would come into the garden and meet with them, but this time they hid themselves. Now, isn't that natural? When you sin, to stop for a moment, think about it. When you sin, how likely are you to go to prayer? Less likely. Because you're embarrassed. You're shamed. You're guilt-ridden. Do you understand? Now, notice now the confrontation with God. There's a confrontation with God, okay? God confronted them concerning eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because he says to them, hey, where are you? Where are you? And they said, well, we realized we were naked, and so we hid ourselves. And then he says, who told you you were naked? Then God says, did you eat from that tree? Now, first of all, do you think God knew they ate from that tree? Okay. It's sort of like when you say that to your kids. Did you make that big mess out? And you know, you saw them do it, but you're what? Confronting them for them to what? Acknowledge and confess. Okay? Now here's what happens. Adam and his wife shift the blame concerning their sin. This is where blame shifting begins. Adam says, the woman made me eat it. And what does the woman say? The serpent, you know, he's the problem. Blame shifting. Yeah, the woman, God, I wouldn't have this problem if you hadn't given her to me. You're the one that didn't want me to be alone. Isn't that the classic thing we do in blame shifting? Yeah, in fact, we we still use that line in our various forms today, don't we? You know? Let's go on. So, here's the punishment. First of all, snakes were to crawl on their bellies and eat dust. Now, a, a skeptic would look at that and say, snakes don't eat dust. No, they don't. But that's not the point that he's making here. They're to crawl on their bellies and when humans look at it, it looks like when the snake's sticking out his tongue, he's like on the ground, so it looks like he's licking up the dust. But that's not what he's saying here, okay? The serpent will be defeated by Adam's seed as he bruises the seed's heel. Now, this is a pronouncement not against the animal, but a pronouncement against the adversary, Satan. And this is, if you want to mark this down, this is a prophetic passage concerning the Messiah. Okay, so this is a messianic passage that's being talked about here because it says that the serpent will be defeated or his head will be crushed and that the serpent will bruise his heel. Now, how's that possible? Jesus died on a cross. He died on a cross. Well, on the cross, who did he defeat? Satan, right? Well, how did his heel get bruised? Well, it's a known fact that those who are crucified 
when you are killed by crucifixion, how you die is by asphyxiation. You die because of the way you're hung. You die so that you quit breathing. And so it is a torturous thing. Now, they nail their feet in such a way so that they're, if you notice that wherever you see a picture of a crucifixion, the victims is kind of, they're bent, their knees are bent. And the reason why is, is so that when, because they're hanging there and the pressure of hanging there, the pressure on their lungs, they need a breath, they have to heave up on their heels or on the nail to, quote, get a breath. And they say that sometimes crucifixion victims could last for a week. Isn't that interesting? But the point is, is that the common thing that happens then, because of the pushing up, they bruise their what? Their heels. Their heels. So that this is a prophetic passage here. So let's go on. The woman is to give birth in pain and to be mastered by her husband. So this is all part of the curse. Before the fall, they had a perfect relationship. After the fall now, first of all, women are to give birth in pain. And so every woman here who's ever had a baby will tell you it is painful, right? Painful. And every woman here who's ever been married will say that her husband's trying to rule her life. Right? Right? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Dominate. That's part of the curse. Man was to painfully toil for his livelihood. Do you ever wonder why work is such a pain? I know people say, I love my job. I'm telling you, even they have days when it's just plain stinks. Because God said part of the curse was, is no longer can you just go over to a tree and grab something to eat. you got to work for it now. you got to work for it. And man would experience... Physical death. Physical death. Man was to painfully toil for his livelihood and to experience physical death. Now, here's what I want you to see. Adam and his wife, Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of mankind. Adam and his wife called his wife Eve because she was the mother of mankind. You know, I saw an interesting article probably about 15 years ago. I don't know if it was in the National Geographic, but it was in a science article, and they were talking about DNA testing. And they had identified a woman, they called her Eve, that all mankind came from. We said, there it is, science. Actually, the article was saying, though, there were probably other humanoid species but we tended to be from this more dominant Neanderthal whatever. But your DNA can be traced back to a single woman. Isn't that interesting? How are you doing, cousins? Now, my daddy said you don't claim them after the third, okay? Yeah, you say, yeah, that's right. I ain't claiming some of these folks, Okay. But they can trace him back to a single woman. All right. 
God clothed Adam and Eve with what? Animal skins. This, we believe, is also the first time that there was a sacrifice. Because for sin, there has to be a what? Blood sacrifice. Now, do you think Adam and Eve, they grew up in this garden with all the animals? You think that was a horrible thing for them? Yep. Consequences of sin, right? They were driven from the garden lest they eat from the tree of life. This is the last time we hear the tree of life mentioned. It's mentioned one other time in the Old Testament, but it's mentioned again very specifically in Revelation. Because when we go into eternity, not the millennium, but when we go into eternity and spend forever with God, we, you and I, who are believers, will eat from that tree every day for the rest of our lives, for eternity.